Hello, and welcome back to It's a Very Exciting Time, a podcast by a UFO nerd and its tolerant friend. My name is Scott, and I've been fascinated by the phenomenon my whole life. And my name is Chuck. I'm an aerospace nerd and a tolerant friend. We started this podcast because since 2017, there have been shocking revelations from news of secret Pentagon programs to confirmed Navy videos of astonishing craft. In a nutshell, now that the government has admitted that UFOs are real, <clears throat> or at least that the videos were authentic, <laughs> it raises a natural question. If UFOs are real, what else? Suddenly, some of these other parts of the phenomenon that seemed unlikely are pulled into the realm of the possible. Right? They may still be unlikely, but there's so many explanations for these stories. Even if the truth is more mundane than you're hoping, if any of it turns out to be true, it's a very exciting time. Okay, Chuck, we're doing it today. We're finally doing it. We right. are going to talk what are we about. <laughs> we're going to talk about the Nimitz encounter. Oh, uh, okay. You may have heard of this by a different name. You may have heard of the Tic Tac uh, mm. UFO. Yeah, uh, and we kind of covered of... it a little bit. Yeah, in our first yeah we talked about it in yeah. the yeah 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 um also one of those three videos mm -hmm. that was released back in 2017 uh, specifically the FLIR video okay uh, is literally from the tic tac encounter okay which we're going to be talking about. oh cool um so the reason we're talking about it is <laughs> I didn't think of coming into the podcast this way, but uh, yeah. my my boss Jason at one point he's like, "Oh, I really like that you're kind of alternating between like nuts and bolts episodes, hmm, kind of yeah. like uh, more, more out. out there episodes." Yeah, which was not something I considered doing, but it made me laugh immediately because yeah. it's something that Doctor Who does, uh, oh. as I understand it. They I never noticed that they were qualified as educational programming <laughs> because they did historical stuff. So okay. As long as every other episode yeah. they went into the past, okay. Then on the other episodes they could go into the future and do go wherever they want. stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, awesome. So I feel like this is the same thing. This is this is me like <laughs> earning my right to talk to you about goofy stuff. As long yeah. as I come back and do some nuts and bolts stuff. <laughs> totally. We gotta eat our vegetables today, Chuck. Uh -huh. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Let's do it. <laughs> uh but that said these are very good vegetables uh these are, these are bacon wrapped <laughs> asparagus okay. uh its <laughs> encounter is legendary and it is legendary for a reason we're going to talk about it but okay. what it boils down to is this um well okay here I'm, i've got a quote here from an article i read that i really okay. said um something totally strange did indeed occur and it didn't just happen in the blink of an eye. It happened over days, with the object in question being examined by a multitude of the U.S. Navy's frontline sensors, as well as by the human eye of some of the best trained and most reliable observers one can imagine. Hmm. And it occurred in a place and time where the most powerful set of aerial surveillance sensors ever created were amassed together and were watching and recording it all. So we still only got one weird video out of it, though. What? Mm. No, we, meaning you okay. and I, right. only right. got one little clip of a video. There's a lot more out there that okay. is classified, behind the scenes, etc. Okay. Um, 
but we're going to talk about all of that today. But the, okay. the main thing that I want to do is I want to kind of establish context. Okay. My understanding is the Nimitz encounter was so well documented and so clear and unequivocal yeah. that it it kind of marked a sea change. Like yeah. nobody who was looking at it could really deny something anomalous something is happening here. Yeah. Where before it was very easy to be like, okay, whatever, Bob, yeah. you saw something up in your jet. Right. Are you drinking? You know, like yeah. it, it, it was very easy to be dismissive of it. At this yeah. point, no. Like if this happened, something like, weird yeah. is going on. Okay. Um, yeah. And one of the things we will find out as we go over it is I've talked to you before about Lou Elizondo from the mm. ATIP program talking about the five observables. Yeah. So he said there are these five things that we look for in UAP encounters okay. that kind of highlight capabilities that we don't expect anything of this earth to be able to demonstrate. Yeah, so it sort of like separates have... like fluffy reports from like, okay, now this one's oh. really weird. Okay. Yeah, and especially, you know, if something has one of them, fine. If it has two of them, hey, pretty good. If you've got one that has three or four or five of these qualifiers, Mm. You're really dealing with something absurd here. Yeah. So, yeah, we're we're going to talk about that. So before okay. we get into it, what do you know about the Nimitz encounter, Jeff? I mean, I I saw the FLIR thing uh, or the video of the Tic Tac mm -hmm. I, uh, back when we we were doing this on the first uh, episode, but um, and and I heard that quote like that is a really interesting, compelling quote. Um, mm -hmm. But that's. Uh, I mean, honestly, that's kind of it. it. Mostly I've been like kind of wondering, like, how did we only get one thing out of it? But also, how did that one thing, like, mm -hmm. come out? Like, I, I feel like if I had a thumb drive, I'd try and sneak a lot more than just one. But like, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. That's um, a good question. So, but and, yeah, and to be I, clear, I don't know much. we still don't know the provenance. Uh, the provenance is not the right word. We still don't know how that video got leaked. We know right. um, that recently, um, what's his Word. name? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, we talked about it so much last time. Chris Mellon. Jesus. Uh, uh, right. Chris Mellon claims to have been the one to receive the video from someone mm. in the Pentagon. Okay. And he's the one that leaked it to a press. It was later declassified. Um how Chris Mellon got this video, who gave it to him, and right. why they selected this portion of what is widely acknowledged to be a much longer video mm, than the actual video, something like 10 or 20 minutes long, and huh. this is just like a small snippet of it, that's unknown. And okay. obviously, as we're going to talk about today, there is sensor data, there's voice comms, there's the testimony of right. pilots and all the people on the ground, and some of that stuff has leaked. But none of the recordings and stuff like that. So hmm. there's more here than yeah. what we have seen in that one little clip. Uh, when one when do clip, we get to see this? Like, I want to see more. That, that is such a good question. And oh, my God. Like, everybody's kind of hoping that what's yeah. going to happen with the NDAA and the whistleblower protections is Congress is going to get testimony from more of these people and have a firmer grasp of what to ask for and go back to the Pentagon and be like, stop dicking around. Yeah. Stop giving us five second snippets of 20 minute videos. Give us the goods or right. we're going to haul you up here in contempt of Congress. 
Right. Okay. Who knows? But that's that's kind of the hope is that yeah. yes, if there's more out there and it's behind locked doors, that we are going to get it. Okay. Um, cool. I and... will tell you not to expect a whole lot from the Navy this year unless they're forced yeah. to. They recently responded to a freedom of information request saying uh -huh. that all Navy flight videos are classified of course. for security purposes. Yeah, yeah. Well, but it's not, of course, because they release videos all the time. Oh, and they want to like show that China was doing something sketchy in a part of the world. They'll put out a, a pilot yeah. video, no problem. And they don't yeah. like obscure stuff. Like they clearly have a process yeah. for taking these cockpit videos and releasing them without it yeah. being a security threat. But no, blanket rule. If it has to do with UAP, it's immediately yeah, interesting. Interesting. Sorry. Right. Um, and just just to like check in. The UAP report still hasn't come out, right? Still delayed. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I figured still, as much, but still yeah. MIA. Okay, well, that's great. All right. So yeah, Nimitz Encounter. Yeah. Uh, first of all, the Nimitz Encounter is from 2004. Okay. Uh, we found out about it, well, really from a variety of places, but as far as I can tell, the kind of first source to talk about it publicly in kind of a definitive way was George Knapp, who's kind of a legendary Las Vegas journalist in this okay. field. He obtained a Pentagon report when he went to Washington to interview Harry Reid about OSAP and ATIP. Okay. Um, this is like 2017 or? Okay. I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but okay. yeah, I think right. in the aftermath of the New York Times story, George Knapp was flying around meeting with people. Oh, okay. Um, cool. So he obtained a report from the military. Now, I don't know, was this a, you know, Pentagon report? Was this a Navy report? Was this sure. Pentagon? Was this a third-party contractor? I don't know. But he received the report from the Pentagon. It doesn't have a cover letter. It doesn't have a date on it. Hmm. So sometime between 2004, when the incident occurred, and when George Knapp was there, someone at the military did an investigation into the Nimitz report. This, it's okay. this thorough report. It's like 30 cool. or 40 pages. Um, so he received this report analyzing the Nimitz encounter. The Nimitz, if you're unfamiliar, is a supercarrier. And okay. this incident occurred with its carrier group hmm. near San Diego. So there are actually a bunch of ships and pilots sure. involved. I have left out a lot of these details from the story yeah. because it gets kind of confusing like yeah. uh we're going to talk about commander david fravor who's flying out doing this he actually wasn't on the nimitz he was tasked to the princeton and they took it but the mm. point is the nimitz supercarrier group as a whole okay. was operating yeah. in the area of san diego they were set to do a training exercise okay they were doing this training exercise because they were about to be deployed to the Gulf, because mm -hmm. this was during the war. Um, so this was kind of a, a shakedown of the new crew before they sailed out. Um, Wait, which, which Gulf? Was, I don't actually know. Okay. <laughs> I assume right. we're talking about Afghanistan, but I, okay. I'm not actually sure what's okay. going on. But the point cool, is, cool. they were getting ready to be deployed, so they were running a training exercise. Okay. And they were running, if I understood him right, something called an 8X. I don't know what that means, but he said this is like a very high-fidelity training exercise. We, okay. The carrier group is defending itself from flights of jets that are coming mm. in, carrying okay. 
dummy weapons and stuff right, like yeah. that. There are no live munitions, but everything is run by the computers, and it's very, very accurate for training. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the context of like where they were, why they were there, and what they were doing. Um, something that's important to understand is the Nimitz group. Uh, this is the first time that uh, an experimental integrated architecture called CEC, which stands for Cooperative Engagement Capability, was deployed. Okay. This is one of those things that, like, whenever I see people talk about it, they talk about it like it's this mystical thing. But as a computer programmer, I think you're going to yeah. kind of laugh because it's going to sound so obvious. You're like, yeah. we're already doing that. Um, it allows all of the sensors from all of the devices in the carrier group to be shared back to a computer which can coordinate them. And okay. at its most simple, a ship at a particular part of the group might not have line of sight to an object, meaning sure. it might not have radar, meaning they can't really fire on it because they don't have a direct mapping of it. Mm. But now, as long as any device in the carrier group has radar tracking on it, sensor data on it, everyone else can use that to coordinate and the mm. computer can decide which ship is in the best position to fire on it and automatically mm. set that up so okay interesting it, it sounds like really really fancy but i think basically it's just centralized coordination using computers one one interesting thing about all of that is that um one of the things we learned with the the psas rocket is that um a lot of like wireless communication don't don't work at mock like you know mock two um oh interesting or or like they just require really yeah. different uh things even gps kind yeah. of doesn't work at uh right. at different mock levels so you have to like account for that and so huh. there may be so like yeah generally the architecture sure. is like oh well, yeah sure. obviously but there's some like there are some funny things in there uh with totally yeah. And I'm not a anyway. sensor engineer. Yeah, right. I'm yeah, not yeah. in the military, am I. right? I am, yeah. I am sure that the third-hand description I'm giving to you <laughs> that yeah. I don't really understand is yeah. glossing over a lot of details. So many so, details, yeah. If anybody out there worked on the CEC and is like, you guys are getting it wrong, we, yeah. we see you, we hear you. Yeah, yeah, sure yeah. It's very complicated. It just made me laugh a little bit because yeah. it, I was expecting like some sort of fancy holography or something <laughs> the way they were talking about it. It's like, oh, we just share sensor data. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But the point is, this is the first time this system had been deployed okay. in a carrier group. So this carrier group is bristling with sensor data yeah, to right. a degree that literally no other group on the planet had had before that point. Okay. And as I understand it, also around this time, they were upgrading the radar mm. on a lot of the boats and in okay. particular on the FA-18 Super Hornets, which is okay. what the pilots were flying. Meaning okay. they literally have radar capability they did not have until Ooh, recently. Interesting. Okay. And what you hear from some of the radar technicians is, yeah, we installed these new radars and these new systems, and we're suddenly picking up signals that we weren't before. Yeah. And is the signals bug? look like garbage. <laughs> they yeah. look, they, they're obviously wrong. We're tracking objects that are dropping from 60,000 feet down to just above the water in a number of seconds, and then hover there before zooming off with high velocities and turn rates. 
it's it's obviously a bug in the system obviously and he described like we would take down the system and bring it back up again and he kind of laughed he's like just like you would do with rebooting yeah, of course yeah Turn it off which on. i just wanted to say i appreciate that even in the military have you tried turning it off and yeah, on yeah, yeah, yeah. multi-billion dollar radar <laughs> <is> still <laughs> still works right uh so yeah this is an upgrade from 80s era radar newer systems are detecting things there's an assumption i just said all of this I, yeah. uh, i'm looking at <laughs> okay. my notes i'm like wait yeah. i just said all of this. um but yeah so they brought it back up it's still there so at some point mm. they're like okay the signals are real but we don't know what they are they don't match sure. anything yeah. we understand they don't make sense we can't see anything we're only picking up electronic signals because they um, were um because if i remember the FLIR was like super duper duper far away right like way past visual range is that true right and and even more importantly the FLIR was taken off of a jet which was dispatched to investigate a signal so imagine you're at the carrier group off the coast of san diego you're picking up signals out there yeah you're not able to see it nothing is approaching you there's no obvious threat but it's weird yeah, there's so a space dolphin on, out there. Okay. Right. So this went on apparently for like a week, like huh. six days. They're getting hundreds of tracks yeah. over those days, sometimes three or five or 10 at a time. Hmm. And one of the guys being interviewed about it, they were like, could it all have been the same thing? He's like, maybe. I don't sure. know. Maybe there are only five of them out there. But we got hundreds of pings and we have no way to distinguish them. Yeah, it could have been hundreds of individual objects. It could have been a handful of objects constantly coming in and out. We don't right. know, but we're tracking these things. They're dropping from eighty thousand feet down to about twenty thousand feet. Hold stationary. And I want to be clear: they talked about these things as if they were stationary, but then they would also say they're doing a hundred knots. The context that I picked up, and this is one of those points where I'm going to preface what I'm about to say. I'm not a military guy. I don't know anything about flying. The impression I got is 100 knots is so slow that it is alarming. Like if you're in a jet, you're going to fall out of the sky. Mm, It is not something that you see happening. So these things are dropping down and effectively just drifting with the breeze, it looks like. They are for all intents and purposes, stationary. Right. And they'll be there for a long time, like much longer than you would expect. Uh, some of the pilots mentioned that um, they would encounter these things in the morning, then come back because a modern jet can only be in the air for so long. Like jet fuel burns fast. Right, yeah. And you would land. And 10, 12 hours later, you'd go up and the thing's still there. So these things are exhibiting like, an ability to stay in the air for durations that we're not expecting, but not like a blimp, like you're yeah, dropping right. from effectively orbit. And I can't remember where I found this, so don't quote me on it, but that number you're hearing, 60 to 80,000, they're dropping from that height. My understanding is that is the limit of the radar arrays height. Mm, That's sure, basically yeah. up there beyond which they kind of don't care you're on the edge of space. Yeah. It's not like, oh, that they were at 80,000. No, that's when we picked up the signal. So the implication being these things are actually dropping higher. from orbit. Right. Right. Yeah. So 
I, I just looked it up because I always struggle with this. Um, the first mm-hmm. iPhone was 2007. And so I, I really want to know what radar looks like now. But like thinking back at that yes. time, like yeah, these yeah, are yeah. CRTs maybe and like. No, totally. Barely and, networked. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. Now, the military usually has technology in advance of what the public has. Sure. And it's yeah. very specifically designed. But uh, this was actually part of the rumor around everybody thinks the next UAP report is going to be very dismissive. One of the quotes that we heard from Susan Gao, the the director of the DOD, uh, yeah. actually, I might have gotten that title wrong, but anyway, she was the one who's ultimately in charge of the UAP report. She was like, look, you need to understand some of these legacy reports, referring to yeah. things like the Nimitz, are happening oh. with old sensor data that, okay, yes, they were unidentified with the technology of the time. We now have much better technology yeah. and we are not seeing the same kind of things. We are now seeing things we can identify. I don't know if that's true, but it does make sense that in the nearly 20 years since the Nimitz encounter, that we would see a generational leap Hopefully. in detection capability. Yeah, right. Interesting. Yeah, uh, interesting. Okay. So yeah, for like a week, they're picking up hundreds of unusual radar tracks. They're very strange. They're behaving in ways that don't make sense. They're dropping from the limit of the radar's detection down to 20,000 feet or even to sea level, hanging out in unusual ways for unusual durations of time, and then going back up. It it just doesn't make sense. To the point where they have rebooted the system multiple times on the assumption it's a glitch. Yeah. Um, Which I would be too. Eventually... Especially as, yeah, like, totally. this is, like, the first outing. Like, I'm sure the operators are like, oh, man, this is not going well. Yeah. <laughs> like... Now, the story, as I understand it, is on the day the exercise was supposed to start, mm-hmm. the guy who's in charge of interpreting all of the radar data and giving tactical advice to the captain goes to him and says, look, this is an air safety issue at this point. Mm, okay. We are tracking Smart. these things. We need to go investigate them because they are in the same areas of the sky that we want to put planes yeah. during this exercise. Yeah, right. And the captain agrees, so they decide to dispatch a jet to investigate. Okay. So, we're about to talk about David Fravor and the guy who's actually flying the jet and sees the Tic Tac. Before we get into okay. that, any questions about the, the radar, the detection tracks, the kind of context? No, no, that, this all makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah, carry on. Cool. So Commander David Fravor, who's flying a Super Hornet on a training mission, he and at least one other jet. I don't actually know how many were in the squadron. The impression I got is it was him and one other jet, which was piloted by a woman named Alex Dietrich, who came out later and confirmed the story. Um, They were tasked. They're already in the air preparing for the exercise. They got orders. They said, hey, the training exercise is canceled. We're sending you to investigate a real signal. They were dispatched to investigate a ghost-like signal with no velocity indication. Okay. Now that is them yeah. putting it into layman's terms. 
Yeah. But what I'm taking away from this again is they're getting these unusual intermittent yeah, yeah, signals yeah. that are behaving weird ways, and no velocity indication means it's in one spot. This yeah. is what this is the one. Go investigate this one. Um, the main thing I want to push back on is I've heard some people talk about the Tic Tac incident as if there was one UFO and one mm. pilot saw it. No, there were hundreds of incidents yeah. over the course of a week. This is just the only one that they put eyes on. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And it, it so, sounds like it was multiple. Was it uh, two people in the same jet or two jets? Two jets. Okay. Yeah, so Fravers flying one, Dietrich is flying another one. And they talk about multiple people seeing it. So I think they Might each had a co pilot. I, yeah. I don't know that. Yeah, I don't know anything about um, Super Hornet. So as they're being dispatched out to it, they see this object drop from 28,000 feet down to 50 feet. Okay. Uh, the, the guy in charge of the radar room, the, the technical area, uh, yeah. looked it up later. He said it covered that distance in 0.78 seconds okay. without no producing a sonic well. boom. Okay. A normal aircraft can survive 13 to 14 G-forces. This is a magnitude beyond that. So this is yeah. an, an astonishing rate of speed. It just drops, and it's yeah. at the surface of the ocean. Hmm. So that's as they're flying out, as I understand. So Fravor and Dietrich arrive at the area, and they described what's happening is they can't see anything, and okay. they're not picking anything up on their radar. So sure. they're receiving instructions from the ship. The ship is telling them this bearing, uh, you know, hmm. uh, 30,000 30, feet. Okay, this bearing, not feet, it would have been miles. But anyway, yeah. you know, the point is, eventually they get what's called merge plot, which means their signal and the signal they're investigating are at the same are spot there. on the scope. The ship okay. can no longer distinguish between them. You're on top of it. Yeah. So they drop into a circle and they're looking to yeah, see it right. and they the first thing they see is a disturbance in the surface of the water okay now i watched a bunch of different interviews read a bunch of different articles yeah. and it was described a variety of ways but what they've said is the water was frothing the water was <laughs> boiling uh, Fravor at one point described it this way. He said it looked similar to a crashed 737 with waves breaking over the top, like white water. Hmm. Now I want to be clear. He never said there was a crash yeah, right, 737. Yeah, yeah. He said there is a disturbance like in the water right. that looked like if a 737 had crashed and is settling under the water. The waves are breaking over it. There's this sure. big disturbance. As they're looking at this disturbance on the water, they spot what they started calling the tic tac. Mm -hmm. They said they saw a white, featureless object, no wings, no engines, no control surfaces, about 45 feet long, and it looked like a flying tic tac. Okay. And Fravor did they describe? Did yeah. they see it visually or again through yes. instruments? Okay. Interesting. No, this is this them looking down yeah. at the disturbance of the ocean and they see this thing. Uh, Fravor described the outer shell like a whiteboard. Mm -hmm. um, they said it is moving erratically over the surface disturbance as if it was checking it out. And it's like zipping back and forth, yeah. like from wingtip to wingtip, 
just kind huh. of moving erratically. Um, Fravor noted it did not have any rotor wash, like you would expect from a helicopter or a large drone. And okay. it's like 50 feet, right? Like it's right above yeah. the surface. You would expect to see water disturbance. Yeah. It's not making it. Again, their jet radar could not detect the object, even at close range. They're still relying on the radar track from the ship. So they're circling around. As they circle around, it appears to notice them and it matches their motion. Hmm. So if you imagine them on a circle, it jumps yeah. up to the other side of the circle and they're circling each other. Interesting. In right? Yeah. <laughs> so it, it responds to them for sure. Fravor eventually decides, okay, I'm going to get a closer look. Uh, in various interviews, he describes this differently. In some of them, he says, I'm going to get a closer look. In another yeah. thing, he says, I'm going to intercept it. Okay. I want to be clear, they are flying in jets with no weaponry, sure, no yeah. live weaponry. So there's yeah, no fine. chance that he was looking to engage with the thing. Right. Just trying he to just get wanted close. to get closer. Yeah. So again, imagining they're on this big banking around a circle, right. Fravor turns and dives towards it, like straight towards it, trying to get hmm. close to it. Yeah. It takes evasive action. He says it shot away at supersonic speed quote, an incredible rate of acceleration, like nothing I've ever seen. One second it's there, the next, poof, it's gone. Yeah. Um, in a few different interviews, they tried to figure out how far it is, but basically yeah. what you need to understand is it went from here to invisible in the distance in yeah. like two seconds flat, yeah. just an astonishing rate of speed that none of nothing he's ever seen can handle or hmm. produce. Yeah. They circle back to look at the water disturbance, and it is gone at this yeah. point. Interesting. Which, interpret how you will, the impression I always got was they arrived there just after something had entered the surface of the water and was descending. Sure. So they saw it as it was like the waves breaking over the top. By the time they got back, it has descended enough that there's no longer a visible disturbance. Instead uh, so of, I will be like, clear. That is me interpreting. The only yeah, thing they yeah. said is there was a disturbance. That there there isn't anymore, which says like they could have been causing that disturbance too. Um, no, it maybe. was there when they arrived. Yeah. Oh, oh, the tic tac. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it doesn't look like a rotor pattern, and it's much yeah. bigger than the tic tac. But yeah, who knows? Who knows? Um, so this is the point. I've actually told you this story before, and I want to issue a clarification. So the disturbance is gone. The tic-tac is gone. So they go, okay, we're going to go back to our cap point. Cap point is yeah. literally just a predetermined point where they rendezvous in the air. Remember, okay. they're doing this exercise. Yeah. This is a spot where the jets kind of go and hang out while they're waiting for their orders. Okay. Um, they call the ship. They're like, hey, we lost the thing. Do you still have it on your scope? They say no. And then a second later, they say, you're not going to believe this. It's back at your cap point. I told you this story earlier, and mm -hmm. I said the thing that was amazing about that was how could it know the cap point? The cap is right. randomly determined by the computer. I don't think that's right. I did okay. hear that from someone, and unfortunately, I can't remember who, or I would have gone yeah. back and tried to verify the source. But first of all, the cap points may be determined by computer, but for this particular training exercise, at least, they were reusing the same one all, sure. all week. That's okay, cool. so 
if you're okay. thinking, how could it have known where this is? If this well, thing has been observing them, yeah. A, it could have literally just watched. I know yeah, these right. jets tend to hang out over there. I'm going to go over there. I'm just going to go over there. and Yeah, okay. Right. And the other thing is, there is communication between the ship and the jets about what the cap point is. So sure. if you assume that these things are experimental U.S. tech, it's not inconceivable that it could have read the cap point out of the messages being sent and gone, okay, I know where they're heading. Regardless, yeah. it is at their cap point. That is okay. remarkable in that it knew yeah. where it was, but not unexplainable. The reason it is remarkable is because it closed that distance yeah. in a number of seconds. That was a very long distance. You know, it yeah. took them several minutes to fly out there. So yeah, that is the remarkable point. Is it covered yeah. that and ground? It, that it could have been a different one too, but still it sounds like there's a lot of it, there's possible. enough remarkableness yeah. here that like yes. yeah, whatever. Yeah. It did shoot off in that direction. Everybody assumes it is, but you're totally right. It drops off radar, it reappears then. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Something someone was pointing out also is unless you have your radar in basically ballistic missile tracking mode, your radar is defined to ignore certain signals that fall mm. outside of expected parameters, yeah. which means sometimes we may not be dealing with something that is literally disappearing from one place and reappearing in another place. It may be traveling so fast that the radar is dismissing Absolutely. Yeah. And if you were in ballistic missile tracking mode, you would be able to go, oh my God, we saw it go the whole way yeah. incredibly quickly at the speed yeah. of a ballistic missile. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. That's pretty cool. It's a good story. And yeah. so the whole time you're talking about this, I'm thinking like, uh, I, I had this thought that maybe it wasn't actually shaped like a tic tac, but, um, but rather like, you know, when you when you point a heat gun or like a, a FLIR at something, generally heat sources don't look like um, exactly. a thing. Yeah. They look yeah, like a, a little kind of, of ball. Yeah. And like, yeah. like oh, maybe this was just something like that where like the actual thing is inside it and, um, and it's just really hot or really visual or I don't know, whatever. We're just really different. It's bending space time. Like, yeah. It's pretty cool. So that's David Fraber. So at yeah. this point, Fravor exits the equation. Um, okay. As I understand it, uh, either then or soon after, Fravor and Dietrich go back to the ship. They land sure. and they are debriefed. However, uh, there are more incidents that follow this. And you may have noticed, I did not say at any point that Fravor recorded this thing. Mm. I did say the FLIR video was from this encounter. That's because okay. it's from one of the follow-up jets, which okay. is something... I've heard this story a dozen times, and I did not put together that it wasn't just Fravor and Dietrich who saw it on this one flight. Hmm. So during the same time period, another pilot on a test flight was asked if he had weapons on board, which is not a usual question to ask during test flights. Yeah. And he was also sent to an unknown target, and he okay. also saw a big disturbance on the ocean surface. He said... 150 to 300 feet in diameter and dissipating as he watched it. He did not see a tic-tac, but it happened near the same area. Okay. Now that story, they did not say the, the only time period they gave was during the same time period. So I don't know if that's 
a day later, two days later, 10 minutes later, but at some point, a separate pilot was sent to roughly the same area to investigate and also saw a disturbance in the water. Sure. Um, more importantly, after Fravor returned, another pair of jets were sent up and the ships started picking up intermittent radio signals again, radar signals again. And eventually, these pilots were the ones that were able to track it with their FLIR camera. Okay. Uh, the FLIR cameras are designed to track other fast-moving objects, like jets and missiles right, yeah. in the air. So they move independently of the pilots. They pivot okay. around. They were having trouble getting it to lock on. Eventually, they got it locked on. Hmm. This is, I believe, uh, the video where he goes, Whoa, got it! <laughs> you yeah. know, like... So he's excited, like they've been chasing this thing for a while, and he gets it to lock on. It's also the video where we hear him say, check the ASA, there's a whole fleet of them out there. So as I understand it, the ASA would mean he's looking at the, like, all of the signals from everywhere, and they're picking up more of these things. Interesting. Dropping down from orbit. So they're not seeing them there, but they know there are multiple ones. This is just one of them, and they've pegged it. And in that FLIR video, we actually watch it rotate as it goes. So it's not like like if you saw a missile or a really fast-moving drone, you would expect level flight. This is zipping across at a high rate of speed, and it starts rotating. Nothing we have flies like that. That's not... Like, if your thing starts tumbling in the air like that, that means it's not going to be in the air very much. (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It makes it seem like it's on, like, some other plane where like right. where that's not where uh buoyancy isn't necessary um mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. so interesting so i've got a quote here to share with you uh from another person that i've i've briefly mentioned but i want to talk about now for a second uh this is kevin day he is the nimitz senior chief operations specialist as i understand it this is he is not an officer he's enlisted Okay. But this is the guy who basically makes the decisions. He was very careful to be like, yeah. I don't make the decisions. I give the recommendations to the yeah. captain and the tactical yeah, yeah. officers. They make yeah. the decisions. But he's the one that makes the recommendations to them. Yeah. They're free yeah. to ignore them, but he's the one who is actually looking at all the information and saying, yeah. these things are here. We should send guys here. Yeah. Uh, so he's been in service for 20 years at this point. He's been on a ton of stuff. This was literally his last uh, deployment and okay. his last intercept and yeah. he he said it's really exciting to him that like his last intercept was something really weird so yeah. he is the one who recommended that they dispatch Fravor to investigate because it was an air safety issue so he says after Fravor I've got a bunch of other aircraft all punching off the deck of the Nimitz to get ready for the exercise and they've all got these objects on their data links. Next thing I know, I've got all these interceptors doing their own intercepts all by themselves. At one point, it was raining UFOs. They're all going from 28,000 feet down to the surface to avoid the interceptors. And as soon as the interceptors left, they'd go back up to 28,000 feet and continue along at 100 knots like nothing happened. Wow. so for me that was a detail i had missed because i had heard this story so many times i thought it was just braver and just dietrich was this one-time thing so first of all 
over a week, they saw hundreds of radar signals that looked so unusual, they thought their system was malfunctioning. Yeah, they right. dispatched pilots multiple times to investigate. Fravor and Dietrich made eye contact with them. Another pilot got clear video of the incident. Multiple pilots saw the disturbances in the water. Multiple people are seeing the radar signals of these things dropping. They are clearly evading and interacting with our jets. So if these were just like balloons or something yeah, right. natural, you wouldn't expect them to like interact with the pilot. They're, right. I don't want to say playful, but they're almost like, oh, I see you. Oh, we're going in circles. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, you're you're coming after me? Okay, I'm going to go back to the point where I've seen you flying around before. Yeah, right. right? Like, like, let's go over there. They are, they are interacting with us in a, a nonverbal way, but that is still yeah. very communicative. Yeah, you know totally. You're here. We see you doing things. Yeah, it's like and playing. They... Did you did you play the game Journey? Um, uh, you told in, me about it. Yeah. Yeah, in Journey, you don't have you can't like speak, but you can make little sound, uh, like symbols to each other, and you have to do the same thing. Yeah. It's like, all right, let's run around in a circle to get their attention, and like, it's <laughs> fascinating. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so that's that's part of what was really exciting. About it. Yeah. to me about this was that it wasn't just this one thing. It wasn't a one-time thing. So let's talk briefly about the aftermath of this. So when Fravor is back getting uh, debriefed, and I want to be clear, a lot of the story here focuses on Fravor and sure. Dietrich because they're the ones who have come forward and spoken publicly about this. Sure. We can assume their stories are similar to the stories that all the other pilots who are involved would tell if they were coming forward, but they aren't. So that, that I, might I'm, be I'm just true, saying like, but like, I, I don't know if you can make that assumption, but uh, I will accept that they are compelling. What, stories what I still. mean is and... talking about, sorry, I, I, I misspoke. What I mean is after they got back to the ship and they're debriefing, like what is oh, the oh, process of debrief, the protocol sure. that they're handling? Yeah. 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 So, uh, Fravor says, you know, one of the first things they were asked is, you know, were your jets malfunctioning? Sure. And they both said, no, these are brand new jets with less than 100 hours of flight time on them. They were working okay. perfectly. Um, he says that afterwards, despite three different flights all seeing things, it seemed there was no standard process to follow. Sure. Um, of course one not. Of the articles, <laughs> one of the articles noticed that the crews were heckled by other personnel over uh, the weeks that followed, because everybody's hearing this. It's over the comms. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, they, when they were being debriefed, they were greeted by people wearing tinfoil hats. So, like, uh -huh. people are making fun of them. It is clear, even though they were taking it seriously enough to dispatch jets to investigate it, when one of those jets came back and said, I saw a UFO... Yeah. Everybody treated it like a joke. Yeah. Except they also kind of didn't. Yeah. The right. lead intelligence officer who debriefed Fravor didn't know what to do with the information. Uh, yeah. The report that came out, which remember is the military analyzing what happened, how did we handle it, what could we have done differently. They noted that if Fravor had not been a commander, had not been a squadron CO, and had not been so well regarded, it probably would have been given less weight. They probably would have sure. just dismissed it. Yeah, right. The intelligence officer sent the FLIR video and the debrief up the chain of command 
where another high-ranking intelligence officer dismissed the entire thing as part of a counter-drug operation based in the area, which... Sure. Yeah. Okay, I, yeah. fine, I guess. Yeah. Tell me what kind of counter-drug operation involves this Tic Tac, but fine, right. whatever. Yeah. Um, here's where the conspiracy theory comes in. Um, multiple witnesses, and I don't mean rando witnesses, I mean serving naval personnel who were on the ship, yeah. have stated that uniformed Air Force officers showed up and confiscated the hard drives with the CEC recordings, the radar data, and the voice comms. Uh, interesting. Which is not Weird. only unusual, it's fucking unheard of. Yeah, right. This stuff yeah. is meant to be in the records. You're meant to be able to coordinate. This is a fucking training exercise. They want to be able to go back and look at <laughs> right. it. They can't. It was yeah. confiscated. Interesting. Yeah. And why the yeah, why Air Force uh, instead of like DOD well, or CIA or whatever. And that's why it gets back to conspiracy theory. Yeah, of so course. I'm gonna this next part I'm saying is not grounded in reality. This is the, the community <laughs> view of it. Okay, all right. All of this stuff has gone back to the Air Force and the CIA since the 40s. So sure. if anybody has UFO encounters and the military is involved, it's the Air Force who shows up to deal with it. And Got it's it. just kind of understood. Like something weird happens in the skies, the Air Force Air are going to be there to all take right. the information, tell you not to talk about it, etc. Okay, makes sense. Interpret that how you will. <laughs> yeah, sure. And suddenly it all disappears. Yeah. Right, right. So I see three notable things here. One, Air Force came and confiscated the hard drives. Yeah. That can either mean cover up or it can mean the Air Force is the central repository and it just makes sure. sense all of that information funnels into the Air Force. But regardless, yeah. the Navy didn't get to keep it. Two, the Navy, at least, had no standard processes or understandings of what to do sure. with anomalous aircraft and reports from credible witnesses and evidence of these things. Yeah. That has since changed. Uh, there yeah. was a big story in 2018 that the Navy had added standard procedures for debriefing pilots who encountered anomalous aircraft nice. what to do with it who to report it to where to collect yeah. that info yeah i mean that makes sense um, to me like yeah totally um and third there was still very much a stigma oh, yeah. at least in the navy around the idea of anomalous aircraft and tinfoil hats giggling about aliens etc even with that many witnesses from the Nimitz have come forward. I've mm, talked to you sure. about a number of them. And David Fravor and Kevin Day are pretty high-ranking people. These are not like, oh, yeah, I was in the mailroom. Yeah. There are guys who are like, I was in the mailroom, and I happened to see over the shoulder of my colleagues a, a longer clip of the FLIR video or something. Yeah. You know? and those guys are useful in that they add structure to the narrative that, yes, this was happening, and there was scuttlebutt on the ship. But yeah. Being able to hear from high-ranking people tells you a little bit more about how it was handled and how they took it, and that they were willing to come forward even given the stigma around this. Yeah, right. And they were interviewed by the New York Times. David Fravor went on the record 
in the New York Times. Alex Dietrich later came out and went on the record. Kevin Day later came out and went on the record. But all of them, in the wake of the New York Times story, were willing to come out and talk to the public about it. And what's interesting is they were able to do that because the response did not include non-disclosure agreements. <laughs> nobody told yeah. them, don't talk about it, because okay. nobody knew what to do about it. So they are yeah. legally able to, which interesting, me up, right? So um, I, don't, I don't know if this is interesting for you, but um, there's, there's only two ranks in the enlisted ranks above uh, chief petty officer. There's the master yeah. chief petty officer, which is like, yeah, rare. It says 1.25% of enlisted members. But then there's the master chief petty officer of the Navy, which there's only one of. So like, oh yeah, chief petty, a, a senior chief petty officer is like, that's up there. Like, yeah, that's, yeah, it's interesting. All right. Yeah. So before we yeah. get to the conclusions, uh, most of the time when people talk about the Nimitz, you may also hear them talk about 2014-2015 similar encounters off the okay. East Coast with oh. the USS Roosevelt strike group. Okay, that's cool. 2015. A lot less, yeah, yeah, it seems like there's a lot, a lot less better. information about this. So I'm okay. not going to talk about it a lot, but except to note, there are similar stories. Radar tracks all day long, unexplainable okay. flight characteristics, and notably near collisions between pilots oh. on tracing exercises and UAPs. Huh. There's a really interesting quote here. He said, we'd go out on a flight in the morning, they'd be out there. You'd go out on a flight in the evening, they'd be out there. They were pretty much always there when we went out. Either they have some source of energy that allows them to stay airborne for very long periods of time, or there's some massive operation involving huh. hundreds, if not thousands, of drones and boats, and they're constantly launching and landing, and we just somehow didn't see any of that. Yeah. So these are, again... The personnel who are in a position to yeah. know are saying, could it have been a drone? Sure, I guess. But you need to understand the logistical structure required to keep this Get presence out there, in like, the area yeah. like that is not like, oh, there's one thing out there. Just fly a drone. Like, it's yeah. not that simple. We're tens of miles off the coast. <laughs> yeah. 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 Interesting. Uh, another quote that's really interesting the majority of the squadrons were having the same experiences. Um, and specifically, they were talking about pilots of Super Hornets, the same jets that we saw okay. on the Nimitz, and pilots of these, like, flying radar stations. Oh, um, sure, yeah. It literally became such a common and near-everyday occurrence that pilots would talk about it informally with regularity. Notices were posted regarding the dangers potentially posed by unknown aerial vehicles flying in the same areas that aircraft frequented for training. This action was taken by the base command's leadership because they couldn't figure out how else to address the bizarre issue and its perceived threat to the air crew's safety. Huh. Again, notable because historically, the default reaction is there's nothing out there. There's nothing to worry about. These guys were encountering them with such regularity yeah. that it was a safety issue. They're worried that right. there's going to be a midair collision. And they're telling the pilots, hey, be aware, these things are out there. And there yeah. are stories of pilots like going up there, two pilots flying, and one of these things will zip between them 30 huh. feet off your wing. 
Like, yeah. it's right there. Just whoosh. Like, insane. Insane. That's um, wild. I want to know what the notices say. Like, <laughs> you're right. what are you supposed to do? Like, we don't interact with these. We can't, like, I don't know. I also would like to see them, but I suspect they'd be more boring than you think. Because no commander is going to want to put his, like, name on the right. line. Like, hey, guys, watch out for the UFOs. It's going to be like... Uh, there have been sightings yeah. of anomalous objects in the air. Use extra care. I, I don't know. Yeah. Right? Like, it's not going to say, hey, we saw an alien. Watch out. <laughs> and, well, and maybe maybe the notice just says, like, hey, record it. Uh, report it to this person. Report it to Tony. Totally. Tony's got, Tony knows what to do yeah. with it. And this is 10 years after the Nimitz encounter. Yeah. So, what these articles don't cover is, was there a culture shift? Were people taking it more sure, seriously? Yeah. Were they more comfortable reporting it to their chain of command? Did the Air Force show up and take the tapes again? I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, there is one extra little bit of interesting thing here. So the Tic Tac is described as a flying Tic Tac, and it is unusual because it has no control surfaces. And that's weird. But a tic-tac, I, I can kind of wrap my head around. Assuming we found some other means of propulsion and control, I could imagine a human building an object that looked like a tic-tac. It is sure. roughly aerodynamic. It, you know, like, I, it kind of fits my model. The objects on the East Coast did not look like tic-tacs. They hmm. were consistently described across multiple sightings and encounters as a dark cube inside a clear sphere what what <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay we're not talking about something that uh you know some advanced propulsion lab whipped up and yeah, right. you know like oh yeah we got a new anti-gravity this is wh what <laughs> huh. okay and if it Wait, was just one pilot these... reporting that but they were very clear like in the roosevelt encounter yeah. many many pilots saw these and described them consistently the same way did the, does this match up with uh, the Area 51 guy and his description of those craft? Interesting. No. So we got different craft. No. Huh. Lazar has been asked whether he saw anything that looked like a Tic Tac, and I can't remember if he said yes or no. But the thing is, I wouldn't necessarily trust him if he said, oh, yeah, I totally saw a Tic Tac yeah, in, right, the yeah. in the mountain. Like, I don't know, maybe you did, but also, yeah. like, it's he's, he's been, been primed. That his memory was hazy, and yeah. he saw these things for a fraction of a second as he was paraded through. So yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. All right. Um, before I get to the conclusions here, uh, any thoughts? Any reactions? I just want updated versions. You know, like tw two thousand four is so old. Um, it, is. it is. Like, I mean, we're doing better than ASCII art, but not much. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, but it does kind of help you understand why for a lot of people, the kind of modern UFO era starts in 2004 with the Nimitz yeah. encounter. It is it is a modern encounter with credible witnesses and recordings. We're not dealing with, you know, the the morass that is Roswell, yeah. you know, like yeah. at this point, Roswell is so muddy and convoluted. There's so many layers. Yeah. This is. If you were to say, okay, we're starting from here, it's a nice clean spot to yeah. start from. Yeah. Like, yeah, the, the radar capabilities are a little out of date now. There's, you know, we didn't have clear protocols in place, but it feels a lot more relatable. It feels a lot yeah. more 
does. current and you understand how these pilots would react to things. Stuff right, like yeah. And we actually have like sensor data, which I can imagine yeah. that prior to this, like, yeah, we had sensors, but we didn't store them. Like, uh, right. I was looking it up 2004. We were like barely skirting into, or uh, like, we were, we were starting to roll out Wi Fi B at that point. Mm-hmm. It's like, so I can imagine the military had stuff around then, but it's like, right. Well, it's case in point, mature. the Air Force showed up impersonal to confiscate the right. hard drives, yeah, as yeah. opposed to just like, like taking it off the server and deleting right? it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so it makes sense. This is kind of the beginning. And like, I would love to hear more about 2015 interactions and, and I can imagine sure. them being like higher fidelity and, um, or, or just different. I don't know. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. So conclusions here. Yeah. Uh, remember I said this whole thing started with the military report where they investigated this. It's mm. pretty clear from the report that they are not just talking about the encounter itself, but also like, how did we handle it? It's like a post-mortem in the software. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what could we do better? How do we handle this right. in the future? Like, what, what nearly went wrong here, et cetera. Yeah. So they had a surprisingly small number of conclusions that I find fascinating. Okay. The Nimitz report concludes that the anomalous aerial vehicle, which is AAV, so this apparently predates UAP. UAP. (laughs) So the anomalous aerial vehicle was A, no known aircraft in the inventory of the U.S. or any foreign nation. Sure. Now, of course, that doesn't include things like black ops, but like this report was specifically commissioned for the military, and they said this isn't us, and it's yeah. not anybody else. Yeah. That's I I yeah. think that that's a thing carries a lot of weight for me. Yeah. yeah. Two, the AAV exhibited low observability at multiple radar bands rendering mm-hmm. u.s radar capability ineffective mm, yeah you can imagine that ruffling some feathers. yeah yeah right yeah. <laughs> yeah interesting c the aav exhibited advanced aerodynamic performance with no visible control surfaces or means to generate lift now we've talked about that yeah. enough at this point that it almost doesn't feel yeah that extraordinary but when you see it put in print like that it is worth remembering like we're used to dealing with Russians flying MiGs and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Like, here's the thing. It went faster than we can go. It maneuvers incredibly faster than we can go. Yeah. It pulls G-forces we can't handle. There's no exhaust plume. There's no rotor wash. There's no yeah. jets. There's no wings. There's no flaps. Like, how does this move? We have right. no idea. Yeah. <laughs> that That one just feels so, like... Uh, it's so far into the realm of under, unexplained. I'm like, yeah, fuck it, why not? I, I don't know. Right, the it's, first it's two almost are interesting. too weird to think about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, D, it exhibited the ability to go from stationary to horizontal and vertical velocities far greater than any known aircraft with no visual signature. Sure, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's worth noting because the FLIR video especially, I've seen a lot of analyses of it and the military guys who come in and talk about it, they're like, look, you need to understand this doesn't look like 
jets or missiles look like through a FLIR camera. Yeah. They have a very clear signature, and they'll put up comparisons, and you can yeah. see, like, here's an F-18, and you can see this white glowing ball of heat that has a yeah. clear shape of an F-18. Like, yeah, yeah, it's glowing a bit, but, like, it is obviously a jet, and it has this huge plume of heat yeah. behind it. Yeah. There's nothing. It's just this, like, glowing blob in the middle of the street. Like, so the, the no visual signature, I think, yeah. is a really interesting thing that people don't talk about enough. Like, there's no contrails. There's yeah. no, it's cold. Uh, you know, heat exhaust. There's nothing. It's just there. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. Super interesting. Now, these last two, they include the word possibly, which I think okay. is interesting. Those first four, those are things we saw with okay. eyes, with sensors, etc. These last two are things that are inferred, but okay. they were inferred strongly enough that they felt the need to put them in the report. It's not like, yeah, one guy said this. First of all, they possibly demonstrated the ability to become invisible to the human eye. Okay. Now, this is not something we heard Fravor or Dietrich yeah. talk about, but is implied when they talked about we're picking up radar signals and we can't see them. These ships yeah. are equipped with what are essentially incredibly high-powered telescopes and binoculars. Yeah. And they are able to see a lot of things. Yeah. And they were not getting visuals on a lot of these things. And even Fravor and Dietrich did not see the Tic Tac. They went to investigate the larger signal that went into the ocean. Mm. And then they got there, and there's the Tic Tac, which is invisible right. to their radar. They just happened to be at the right spot at the right time. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, and F, these vehicles possibly demonstrated the ability to operate undersea undetected. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't mention this, but there was a quote from someone mentioning that the strike group had a U.S. submarine. Mm. in the area. I don't know if it was okay. part of the strike group or just happened to be in the area, but it did not encounter anything underwater. And presumably, they sent it to investigate as well as they're seeing these yeah. disturbances on the water and things maybe going in and out. They're yeah. seeing things drop from orbit to the surface right. of the water and disappear. Right. It's not unreasonable to think maybe they went into the water. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those last two are possibles, but again, the fact that they felt strongly enough to put them in the report I think speaks to this is not a casual stoner thought like, oh, what if they did this? Like, there's enough <laughs> evidence that they, they weren't comfortable saying it does this, but they yeah. felt the need to mention it. Yeah, that's and interesting. I find it fascinating how much the conclusions of this report overlap with the five observables yeah. that Lou Elizondo shared with the world. So to recap, those are one, anti-gravity, the ability to fly without the apparent means of propulsion or lift. Two, instantaneous acceleration, the ability to reach a high rate of speed in a short amount of time. Three, hypersonic velocity, the ability to reach speeds over 3,700 miles per hour or five times the speed of sound. And Lou's very clear when he talked about this. By the way, we're not saying, oh, they only go 3,700 miles. Like, they get up to 5,000, 10,000 miles an hour. Like, yeah. But they, they exceed hypersonic velocity, which is a kind of a milestone for us. Is, not yeah. everything is hypersonic. Yeah. Uh, four, low observability, the ability to conceal itself from any kind of radar. 
and five, transmedium travel, the ability to seamlessly move through space, air, and water. Lou put these observables together when he was working at ATIP, where his job literally was to go around to different branches of the military, gather their UAP yeah. reports, and kind of compile a threat dossier. Like, what do we think about these things? Are they something we should be taking seriously? Yeah. You can assume the Nimitz case is one of the ones he investigated. Yeah. But what I pick up from this is I don't think that Lou would have staked his career, quit the military, done all of this based on just the Nimitz. Yeah. Either right. the evidence from the Nimitz is so much weightier than what we have seen, or more likely, there are many encounters like this, and the rest of them just haven't leaked to the press. Right. Yeah. And through them, Lou has put together this clear thread of these objects we're looking at are not the next generation MIG fighter. These are not some high yeah. performance Chinese drone. They are able to do these five things, any one of which is remarkable. When you put the five together, we are not talking about a generational wow. leap. We are talking about a yeah. quantum leap well yeah. beyond what anybody on earth is capable of doing right now. And yeah. that for me is what brought me back to being a little bit more dismissive of the idea that this is some black ops project or yeah, some yeah. foreign adversary like again not being in the military not knowing what they had it's kind of easy to assume like yeah but they probably yeah. have some stealth jet that we haven't heard of yeah they don't have a stealth jet that can do this no, no the they only don't. reason i can get to the idea that they might have a stealth jet that can do this is if they also have a crashed flying saucer that they <laughs> like, i yeah. don't see a way to square the circle here yeah without yeah. there being advanced right. stuff involved so yeah that, that's my take on it you're free to disagree but yeah. I, I i find myself coming to that conclusion when i look at that no it's it, like the the anti-gravity and the hypersonic are fascinating to me because uh like the you know our understanding of the vehicles that do these things um it is very challenging to move between regular yeah. flight supersonic flight and then hypersonic um and yeah. And generally, they don't space, air, and water. Right, and generally, they don't work well. Like a hypersonic vehicle doesn't work <laughs> supersonic, and exactly. uh, and it's just fascinating the idea that something right. could also just chill out fifty yeah. feet above the water. Like, right? Yeah, but that's you so can weird. imagine working up a hypersonic missile that can achieve the velocities mm, yeah. these things achieve. You totally. don't have a pilot in it. It can't turn. No, <laughs> not no. the way these things are going, and it certainly can't suddenly stop and hang out in the air, no, a hundred knots at fifty feet over the water. No, no. <laughs> that ain't a thing. <laughs> no, generally we have to launch them from already supersonic vehicles, exactly. and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, with a freaking rocket on the back. Like, it's, right. yeah, they're weird. Um, okay, so there's a few quotes that I want to close yeah, my part of this out with. So, uh, first of all, David Fravor. So. There was a guy interviewing them at a convention where a bunch of the Nimitz personnel came and all kind of spoke publicly about it. Okay. And this guy followed up with each of them, asked really smart follow-up questions, but he has one question of each of them. Do you think this is something not of this earth, or do you think this is something like advanced black budget, like hidden program? Fravor, the pilot, said, I believe, as do the other people on this flight, that it was not something of this world. Sure. Okay. okay. 
Gary Voorhees, who I haven't mentioned before, but he was one of the technicians working on the CEC system. He was the one who told the story about rebooting it. Um, He said, I would say there's only a 30% chance this is a U.S. developed vehicle. And if it was, Mm. it was something reverse engineered. And the only reason Mm. he found that plausible is he said, if so... It was there being tested against the best detection capabilities on the planet at the sure. time. Yeah. When you factor in, this was the first deployment of the CEC system yeah. in the Nimitz Strike Group right before it's being deployed to the Gulf. And it's right off the coast. You're not supposed to run ops against your own people. But if you had but if you were going to a really fancy yeah. reverse engineered stealth craft and you wanted to test it against the US military's capabilities, this would be the way to do it. So be a good time. he said, yeah. I only think there's a 30% chance, but he thought that because if you were gonna test it, this is the place to test it. Yeah, interesting. Um, and then Kevin Day, who was spoke up it spoke about before, he said, I'm not gonna speculate. He said, What I want people to know and what i think most of us want to know when we're coming out here is this really happened the objects were real and it's some kind of technology i didn't know existed Mm -hmm. these things were non-newtonian they were aware of us they reacted to us and they seemed to be prescient as well yeah explain that later he was referring to the cap point yeah at no point did i ever think they were hostile I think they just wanted to be left alone. Hmm. Sure. And I find that fascinating because that is that is one thing we don't talk about enough is, it, you know, like it's a big leap already to imagine this is a non-human presence. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but one of the obvious questions is what do they want? Sure. And yeah. I think he makes a very valid point. If this is non-human, it sure doesn't seem to be interested in fighting with us. It yeah. sure doesn't seem even really to be interested in engaging with us. Right. We were in its space. It was already yeah. here. We yeah. flew out here, started doing our things, and it kind of reacts to us, but it it didn't try to chase us off. It didn't try to yeah. scare us. It just, every time we got near it, it dropped away. Yeah, like, it's like, God, you messed up hostile. the experiment again. Right? Dropping 737s <laughs> in. Like, ah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I got to admit, Chuck, it feels good to have this done. Uh, this yeah. is one of the ones I, I told you before we started recording. I was a little nervous about this because yeah. anytime we start talking about these kind of nuts and bolts stories i feel a little bit higher obligation to get yeah. the details right yeah. and i'm not a military person i'm not an yeah. aerospace person i'm not yeah. a radar technician i don't know what the hell i'm talking about yeah. i'm reading a ton of articles and listening to interviews and i'm taking these people at their word but the to go back to that quote at the very beginning like this occurred in a place and time where the most powerful set of aerial surveillance sensors ever created were amassed and it was observed also by the human eye of some of the best trained and most reliable observers you can imagine. That's really compelling. You made an excellent point early on. The only thing you and I have seen is a short clip of what we are told is a longer video. But the testimony of these people tells us 
there's recordings of voice comms out there. There's recordings yeah. of radar tracks. There's the CIC data. There's the, all of their testimony at the debriefing. Yeah. These people are not, you know, rednecks out in the woods who saw something when they were drunk one night. These are yeah. people who are qualified and trained to operate the most dangerous equipment on the planet. Yeah, right. If they're telling us they're seeing this stuff, I think we got to take they, that. Seriously. They might well be seeing some stuff. Right, yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, interesting. Ah, just opens it up, man. It really does, doesn't it? Yeah. So I hope you understand now why, you know, like in a couple of the episodes, you, you pushed back a little bit on yeah. the idea of these naval encounters. You're like, well, you know, whatever. Like, but I, I hope this kind of cements it. Yeah. Why people talk about the Nimitz encounter in particular yeah. and these kind of naval encounters more broadly as being having a lot of weight to them. Yeah, I give them right. a lot of credence. It's really hard to debunk or dismiss this. That's why it makes me laugh that they're like, oh yeah, it was a, it was an anti-drug. Yeah, operation. right. Like, sure okay, was. that happened to be occurring 10, coasts off, 10 miles off the coast of San Diego during yeah. an active naval exercise? <laughs> right, yeah. Sure. Uh, suspicious. <laughs> I'm sure the FAA was cool with that. Like, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, this is this makes sense, and I'm, I so let's see, we found out about this uh, eleven years after, so I look forward to what is it, twenty thirty six, when we find out about the Roosevelt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, but, this gets back to something I've talked. Oh wait, it'd about. be twenty six, like twenty twenty six. Oh, we only got three years. Oh, this is gonna be great. <laughs> <laughs> the. The reason that I want to do this podcast is because it feels like the pace of all of this stuff is picking yeah. up. And yeah. this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. Like when this story broke, like it was jaw dropping yeah. because we did not have anything of this caliber before. Right. And finding out that the military is sitting on other encounters like this yeah and we're finding out about them slowly as these personnel retire and no yeah, longer right. have any fucks to give yeah right <laughs> like wait hang on we should right? look at this yeah. yeah i can i can see so, why yeah, congress you know, like, would be a little pissed i don't yeah and you know just speaking personally like i don't know what these things are yeah, you know like do i hope they're alien of course but like <laughs> for me mostly it just gets back to again the whole thing of this show is before the idea of ufos the question was are they real right and i hope this gets you to the point that i'm at where that's no longer a question hmm. there is something out there and up there what it is is an open question who's flying it is an open question but in the 80s and the 90s it was an open question whether there was anything in the first place and the right common attitude was very dismissive we're now at a spot where no you can't really say there's nothing up there or it's swamp gas like there's something up there and it's being observed right. by the most powerful sensors and best trained witnesses on the planet what we is now it? have to shift the conversation to what is it why is it here and what does it that's want? really exciting yeah. to me because wow like no matter what the answer to that question is that's that's a big that's deal. That's a big question. Yeah. Yeah, that's right? interesting. You're right. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very exciting time. Chuck. It's a very exciting time. Woo! <laughs> <laughs>
All right, everyone. Thanks for joining us on It's a Very Exciting Time. And Chuck, as always, my wife thanks you for listening to me talk about UFOs so she doesn't have to. <laughs>